Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cold Feet Podcast. Join our journey as we interview people in this cold plunge and we delve on the adventure of holistic health, athletic development, barefoot education, washing the norm, and so much more. So dive in, grab a hot cocoa, and enjoy the episode. Before we start our podcast episode, we would like to give a brief shout out to our podcast sponsors. Most shoes harm your mobility by over-restricting your foot's natural movement. With the Ursus from Barefoot Athletics, a shoe designed with minimal restrictions, your feet can move the way nature intended, so you can move with more confidence and strength in every step. Barefoot Shoes was founded by Chris Duffin, who attributes proper foot biomechanics as foundational to his success in squatting and deadlifting over 1,000 for reps. He created Barefoot Shoes to provide a minimal shoe designed for strength athletes. Go to barefoot.shoes slash TBSR to check out the Ursus and you can save 10% with the code TBSR10 to purchase the strongest minimalist shoe available. As a gym owner, I usually lift barefoot. When I can't lift barefoot, I love lifting in my barefoot shoes for both the health benefits of lifting barefoot and the increased ground feel I have in all my lifts. You don't need supplements to build muscle, lose fat, and get healthy, but the right ones can help. That's why over 350,000 fitness folk have chosen Legion. Well, that and their 100% natural products, their clinically effective ingredients and doses, and their no-hassle money-back guarantee. I've been following Michael Matthews, the CEO of Legion Athletics Journey, since 2012, and I am super duper impressed with their supplements. They have a wide variety of everything from protein powders, pre-workouts, post-workouts, omega-3s, and bundles. And you can save a whooping 20% with the discount code HABER, H-A-B-E-R. So just log in to legionathletics.com, and the discount code is HABER for 20% off. Earthrunners are some of my favorite minimalist sandals. Earthrunners were created to rewild our lives in response to the typical modern domesticated lifestyle, which is causing numerous health, psychological, and social issues. Through rewilding and grounding, we aim to bring stronger, healthier, and more resilient individuals and communities back to our society. If you're not familiar with grounding, grounding is exposing your bare feet or body to the earth beneath you. And if you're unable to do that, you can ground with sandals like Earthrunners with their unique copper plug and copper laces. Grounding has a huge display of benefits such as reducing inflammation, improving sleep, and improving happiness. So you can check out Earthrunners at earthrunners.com and you can use our discount code of TBSR10 to get 10% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Cold Feet Podcast. I believe we surpassed the 60-episode mark. Really privileged to have my fellow Israeli, who is in the land, what do we call it, down under in Australia. And we've connected through Instagram. I'm super excited to chill with her, meet her in person for the first time. Valerie, the stage is yours. Please introduce yourself. Hi. It's wonderful finally talking to you and not just texting um you wanted a cold cold feed episode well here i am in melbourne i don't even need ice <laughs> so yeah i'm valerie topaz um you can find my name pretty much everywhere as valerie alignment um i started started my journey as a therapist in israel uh in 2012 i started there mostly 
Um, I started from remedial massage and and all sorts of remedial therapies, myotherapy, stuff like that, orthopedic rehab. Um, and from there, I started to move to other things. I had my, I started my clinic. I saw that everything that I learned was not helping me help people. And I needed a lot more information, a lot more knowledge, a lot more deeper understanding. And since I'm creating my website now and I needed to, to write my about, and when I wrote things down, I started to see how things connect. So when I went back and looked at the why I decided to be a therapist, my natural born skills and how I felt the body, I felt pain, I felt uh, tension, alignment, things like that, I realized why my journey led me to fascia, why my focus today is on connective tissue and how working only on muscles is not the answer. So I have one aspect in my work that's all about, about flow, fascia, and lymph, and the other one, which is the, the biomechanics, general alignment and natural food health. So those are the main two things that I'm focusing on in my work. And yeah, I, I worked in, and lived in Israel, in the Netherlands, and now I'm here in Melbourne. Wow. And it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to have you. It's a privilege for us as well. I love, I mean, my first language is English, but it's good to hear that good old Israeli accent on the show. I miss that. I think I think you mentioned a very big challenge we have as coaches and health practitioners. The first one being just because we did a certain set of curriculum or education doesn't necessarily mean that that degree or course or certification that we did actually makes us certified to understand and truly treat the body. So just because I'm certified as a strength and conditioning coach doesn't make me a good strength and conditioning coach. And just because you're certified as a massage therapist, it doesn't make you a good massage therapist. What makes us good coaches is the passion and pursuit of knowledge through reading. I personally know that nothing in the degrees and courses I did, I apply to my skill today. It's honestly like self-work, self-working. Self, self-knowledge and self-pursuit of, you know, just becoming a better trainer and coach. Second thing you said about when you have to write your bio, honestly, when someone asks me, hey, can you write up a quick, you know, short summary of what you do? It really makes me think, like, what do I do? What do I do in life? It makes you think of your purpose. Am I being genuine? Does a strength and conditioning coach actually give me justice? Is that what I do or is am I something else? So I really relate to that. Uh, let's dive right in today. I'm, once again, I'm super stoked to have you. Please share with us your wisdom, your love, your your practice, what you do, how you live it. All yours. I'm putting some tape in my mouth. Um, okay. What can I share with you? So as we talked, I have two things that I'm very passionate about and I'm talking to people about all the time. One of the things that that I like sharing with people a lot is the whole idea of ground living mm. ground living or floor living which is also something that i discovered when i started my barefoot journey when i started i transitioned from regular shoes to barefoot shoes and started to look deeper into the biomechanics of the foot but later on I, when i started to look into katie bowman's work and and just the natural progression of it 
the connection between the feet and the rest of the body, because the feet are obviously not isolated from the rest, I started to understand that what applies to feet applies to the rest of the body as well. And personally, I had a lot of experiences with back pain and different things, different aches and pains and discomforts that I think most people experience, but they don't give they don't give any attention to. I don't know, just things that people are just used to living with, especially when you go to sleep at night and your mattress is not really comfortable and you can't figure out why and you wake up in the morning all sore. Um, So people are looking for answers elsewhere instead of looking at, at what's in front of them. So for me, the first thing was to change the way I sleep. Even before I did all the regular stuff that, you know, round living people do which is usually, you know, get rid of the sofa. For me, it was the bed. Number one, I started transitioning into a floor bed. So I was already sleeping on a mattress, a regular mattress, but I I threw it away and got myself a big sheepskin, king-size sheepskin. And I did it like all the pros do it, you know, sheepskin and then covered it with something. Tried sleeping on that. Oh my God, it was so painful and I could not do it. <laughs> can you can you define for us? I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there are like, whoa, these guys are crazy, right? Can you define for us what ground living is, what ground sitting is before you dive more into the story? It just sounds so cool. I'm super happy to hear. And I'm sure you hunted the sheep yourself and brought the sheepskin to sleep on. <laughs> but could you just tell us like what this concept of ground sitting is for those or ground living for those who have never heard of the topic before? Of course. So the main general idea is that we have too many soft things in our life that are taking away our own ability to move, support ourselves, and just pressure, pressure on the tissue, pressure on the muscles, on the connective tissue, on, on everything, on our, our entire organism. And the more we outsource what our body is supposed to do, we just we lose this ability. Just like when Probably you talked about it millions of times on your podcast when you talk to barefoot people, how what happens when you restrict the foot and when you support, when you cushion the foot, mm-hmm. the muscles are losing their ability to to respond because there's nothing there's nothing hard against the foot. The same with the rest of the body. All the other parts of the body re- respond the same. You need enough pressure on the tissue to have a response because the way we were created and evolution wise, we are used to hard surfaces. We were sleeping outside in nature, on the ground, on rocks. We would just put some leaves underneath and it was fine. We were constantly touching hard things, rocks, wood, things like that. And we just didn't have enough time throughout evolution to get used to all of those soft surfaces. And when, if we look around us, and we see how many soft surfaces are there, it's like we're living in some sort of a cloud. We're not even touching anything hard. So it's it's also, it was found that it's connected to cancer as well because our tissue just doesn't know how to operate in such mm. an unnatural environment when you don't get enough input of pressure. Mm. So there are a lot of issues that can be related and created by not having not having hard surfaces as a regular thing wow, in our lives. Fascinating. 
So that is the basis. Wow. And ground living is how you apply it, how you put it into practice in your everyday life. And as someone who does it, I can already tell you that today I was driving home and I noticed, especially in Australia, when we drive all the time and we barely walk because it's mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. We, even when you do that, even when you set up your entire house and your office, everything like that, without soft furniture, you would still find yourself in a way softer environment than than we want to be in. So we still sit in cars. We would still sit on different stuff that are not optimal for us. Um, so, yeah, so I was saying that my first thing was the bed. So I did the sheepskin. Or there are a lot of different variations. You can do a futon. You can do whatever you want. But I started with that. And then I found that it's too hard to transition. Um, I added tons of blankets, quilts, and stuff on top. I took it easy and it took like six months, something like that to get used to that. So at first you feel all of your, you know, hyper arching of your lower back and your neck, everything flares up. You can feel everything. Um, I would wake up every morning with sore hips and it's just hard. You don't know what to do with yourself, how to, how to lay down like that. Um, but then when I got used to that, now I can tell you that my sleep is so much better, the quality mm-hmm. of the sleep. And I had, I suffered a lot from insomnia before, and now I understand how much it's connected to this whole sensation of not being against, not lying down on something hard. It's like the feeling of falling or not having anything to, to be, I don't even know how to describe it. You're not against anything. Mm. Do you use a pillow? I use a very small pillow mm. that I bought in the kids kids section, but I don't always use it. Usually, mm. usually I'm just lying down on my arm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just more comfortable because I that agree. gives you the stretch of the side. Correct. Wow, that that's mm. super fascinating. I have so much to say, but I don't. Li- I do live a ground sitting and living lifestyle. I don't. I do sleep on a bed. I've tried sleeping on the floor. My wife's not so cool with it. And our two beds kind of like take up almost our whole bedroom. So there's not really that much room for me to sleep on the floor. But I don't sleep with a pillow. In fact, I always like sleep kind of on my elbow. And I've noticed that the hand that I sleep on is much more mobile because it's always getting into that like end range external rotation, which just shows how much what we do throughout the day affects us. So people think like you go to the gym or you go running or you go hiking or you go play sports. That's what's making the change. But it's actually... Not that hour or two you put into actively training. It's those 22 to 23 hours of passive movement that you do. So what you discussed about driving and sitting, driving at the moment until they invent standing cars, I'll be the first person to trial it out. We have to sit. It's non-negotiable. Even back in the day, if you were traveling for two months, you'd have a horse or a donkey. And when you get tired, you'd sit on the donkey. But as Katie Bowen would say, even when sitting on the horse, your adductors are stabilizing you, your glutes, your, your hip, your pelvic floor. Your core is working to stabilize you because you're moving on like a bouncy object. The the cushion comfort car at the moment and even flying on a plane is non-negotiable. But if you're sitting the rest of the day and then going into a car and traveling three hours, it's, it's, a, it's a no-no situation. So if you can take the non-negotiable sitting like transportation or if you're meeting with like an important businessman, even though many times I've sat on the floor and people think I'm weird because of it. And the rest of the time you are ground sitting, you're going to make a very, very big change in your life. 
You know, I used to work in a clinic here when I just arrived in Melbourne. I was always that weird person that when a client would come into the clinic, I would jump from behind the counter because I was mm. always sitting on the floor. I was practicing my low squat mm-hmm. and sitting on the floor. So that also took me, I think, more than six months to just get used to sitting low with parallel feet without without the V positioning of the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would all everybody would sit on chairs. And I'm always on the floor, you know, falling on my bum and and getting up again and again until I got that, until I got I got enough uh, mobility and ability to stay like that in my hips and and enough dorsiflexion, just, you know, my mm-hmm. ankle, the range of my ankle. It took some time. But yeah, you know, it's just like you mentioned, you can be three hours in a car. For me, it was sleep number one because you sleep around seven eight hours you know well for me as a mom it would be like six yeah it's a good third but of your life case. but you, you probably even without all of that good good yeah no no you're good even if you can change the small things you don't even have to look at the eight hours three hours because yeah just like you said in your example not everybody can do everything but you can always choose not to sit on a chair mm-hmm or not when you go visit your friends, you can choose not to sit on the sofa or when, if you watch TV, so when you watch TV, I don't know, or computer, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always choose to sit on the floor. And if you're still unable to sit on the floor, there are always all those, you know, different low pillows and bolsters, mm-hmm. different different options. Yeah. Just, just to work your hips. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... For those who are thinking like, whoa, this is extreme. What are you guys talking about? I think that the way to best explain it is I can either do a mobility session for an hour or stretch for half an hour, work on my flexibility, or I can just spend my entire day in a non-tightened position. And then I don't have to do that much mobility. So if I'm working with a client, I drop into this deep squat. He's like, how do you do that? I'm like, because I never tighten these muscles in the first place. So instead of having to put more time away from my life and dedicating it to try to increase or improve my range of motion, I can possibly either maintain my healthy range of motion or increase it just by doing small things like watching TV sitting. For those who struggle with sitting straight on the floor, you can sit on a blanket, you can sit on a pillow. You can start even with a chair without a back, but I would recommend not getting stuck by default into like a, you know, protraction position with spinal bent. Just try to like move a lot. Specifically find something that's uncomfortable for you because if it's uncomfortable, you'll much more likely move. So let's say last night, my wife and I were watching Game of Thrones, which by the way, has a lot of relevant stuff, application that we can speak about in today's episode. But I went from sitting to standing, to kneeling, to stretching, to to pancake stretch, to hamstring stretch, to you know hip elevated, because sitting on the floor is not so fun. It's not so comfortable. So by encouraging you to move, even in passive things like watching a good episode of your favorite TV show, it's, a, it's really a life hack. It doesn't have to be all the time, but starting small, you know, replacing one thing you do every day that you would normally sit in a chair, whether it's writing, watching a movie, eating breakfast, with sitting on the floor, or even standing. Like I assume you're sitting on the floor. I'm standing at the moment. It's more comfortable for me, usually in a podcast, unless I'm in the ice bath of the sauna. And I think I think that's really the way to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I always look at my son and his friends. You just mentioned that it's not comfortable to sit on the floor. It's not fun. When I look at kids, I don't see that they have concepts like that. Mm-hmm. They naturally just on the floor. Look, They're constantly right. lying down on their mm-hmm. stomachs, you know, in a cobra pose or. Mm-hmm. Well, they also didn't. 
they also didn't spend 20 years, you know, sitting in a chair and getting used to its comforts. So if you have, if you're a parent out there, if you're a parent, then the biggest thing you can do is just take, take away chairs, take away the couch, take away shoes, and your kid will grow up healthy, strong, supple, mobile without even thinking that what he's doing is different than everyone else. Yeah, it's basically a conditioning, this whole idea of what's comfortable and what's fun. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a condition, conditioning. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not a given. Yeah. It, and yeah, what you said about mobility and not taking away our natural mobility and ability to do things. Look at all the, all the tribes and all the original people everywhere. I don't see them stretching before they're running to catch their prey or i don't know <laughs> they, they are not cheap. like hold on yeah. i need to do my, my mobility <laughs> yeah it's just when you live like that you don't need that yeah when you have the whole the whole full pendulum movement of the hip and your ankle is mobile enough your foot is able to stabilize and adjust to different surfaces it's just it's not an issue the day, the day that mobility and range of motion things became very popular was also the day when we began either sitting in chairs a lot, wearing shoes, wearing even like things like sports bras or like constrictive clothes. Katie yeah. Bowman speaks about it a lot. Super, super, you know, tight clothes, especially suits and all these things, which really like push you into a certain position and prevent your mobility. Like if your shirt, specifically in men, let's see, are wearing dress shirts, is preventing your overhead mobility. That's literally tightening your tissues and tightening your fascias. And the reason why all this mobility training became popular is because people were restricting themselves in the first place. If people just lived a carefree lifestyle wearing a loin, I'm not saying go wear a loincloth and start hunting birds in the park, but a loincloth is very not restrictive. Uh, you're running barefoot all the time. You're hunting, you're moving, you're dancing with your friends around the bonfire. You're sitting on the floor, you're sleeping on the floor. Uh, you may be limbering your limbs, you know, moving them just for fun, hanging on trees. Like we never had to have this concept of, oh, let me fix my pain in my shoulder because the pain in the shoulder is probably non-existent. I'm sure injury, I'm sure contact injury still happens when wrestling with the boar or whatever it was, but injuries of like tightness, I don't, I don't think that was a thing, or at least it wasn't as common. It's a whole different category. Yeah, you have injuries just like we have today. The, the similar type of injury to that would be a car accident or, I don't know, or work, work accident, you know, those traumas. But it's not the same as those chronic aches and pains that just linger and linger and nobody understands where they come from. And then you have the you have usually the injuries because you mentioned ranges of motion. So when you have something that limits your ranges, something else will have to compensate. And then you get hypermobility somewhere else, which makes this area hyper prone to injury because it's weakening. And it's because just nothing works like it should. You have some areas that are super restricted and others that are way too mobile. We're just not, we're not built that way. That's not how we're supposed to work. Um, and then also what I see that when you have areas that are restricted so over time for too long, the fascia and all the connective tissue gets, gets stiff. It's like, it's not calcified, but it's, uh, it's dying out. It just, and it holds, it holds on to a lot of stuff, to chemicals, to hormones. There, there's no free flow. So nothing is coming through. And when, because I'm working manually a lot as a manual and soft tissue therapist, 
Um, I noticed that when I work with people on restricted areas, not muscles, fascia, sometimes it's combined, yeah, but every time it's different. When I'm working on those areas, there are usually huge emotional releases. And it's not necessarily because, you know, like there are a lot of therapies that are showing the connection between the body and the emotional state of the person and their organs that represent something like in psychotherapy and things like that so from what i saw i don't see any any um nothing consistent there's no consistency in the areas and what comes up what i do see is that it's a more mechanical thing in my personal experience yeah so if somebody has uh an area that's restricted mechanically and fascia that is stuck you would see that in that area everything that happened around that time the the emotions get stuck and then when i work on them or it doesn't matter because there are a lot of different ways to release fascia you can do it with with stretches and and breath it can be active it can be passive there are different types of fascial release but when i do that by myself i see that people usually they they have huge emotional releases and it's usually connected to something that happened around that time and for, it's just my understanding that things are just not flowing. They're not coming through. So there is something in the fascia that that has to that has to transmit those emotions. Maybe there's a, a chemical representation of emotion. Maybe there's a connection between a certain emotion and I don't know. Let's say cortisol, adrenaline that are released when you feel something big. Yeah, fear or something like that or sadness and then you have those hormones that cannot go through and they get stuck so, so i'm just trying to understand it a little bit better and for our audience you're saying that let's say someone complains of i don't know uh forearm pain and he comes to you and says yeah. hey val my forearm's hurting me and you'll be like okay when did it start what do you think blah 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 you'll be like on sunday so you're saying that when his or her forearm started hurting he over had some sort of emotional trauma that's either causing the pain or being a large stimulus behind the pain? Is that what you're it's implying? It's a bit more complicated than that. It's actually okay. pretty simple, but the to to get to the root cause, it's a bit more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, I see that the emotional trauma is not the origin. In a lot of cases, it's the pure biomechanical mm. stuff that we just discussed. Mm. Okay. So let's say somebody has a forearm pain or wrist pain. Almost always it would lead me to the shoulder and the loss of range in the shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, it can be overuse of the neck. It can be all of those regular stuff that you would find. Mm -hmm. But then when I look into those restricted areas mm -hmm. and work on releasing the myofascia around that, as a result, the clients can have a big emotional release. Mm, so wow. whether you do trigger points with a massage ball or or hands-on fascial release, or you hold those psoas uh, release poses, all of a sudden you can feel a lot, a lot of things come wow. up. So the wow. tissue stores emotion Wow! wow on the chemical level. It is. It was very surprising fascinating. to me. Because wow, so, when I... Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just like, this is a new concept to me. This is so, so freaking cool. I'm learning new things. You're saying like, I'm going to finish our podcast and I do a little bit of mobility work, a little soft tissue work, and I'm going to go ice bath. So you're saying that by doing soft tissue work in my trigger areas, the areas that are causing me pain, 
the bad feelings that I'm holding in from yesterday for whatever reason can be released as well because the emotions tend to sit in my already biomechanically tight spots. Yeah, it can wow. be your emotions from when you were two years old. Fascinating. If you never I, I addressed it. The problem is that we tend to run away from it. So mm. if you're trying to release tissue and you feel a lot of pain, usually what you do usually is run away from it, right? You would move mm. the ball. You would stop mm. the stretch. You would not go into that. But if you are allowing yourself to do that, you can release a lot of things. It just it takes a bit of time understanding if you do it yourself and not with the therapist. You don't mm -hmm. want to go, you know, you don't want to stretch something too much. Mm -hmm. Or you don't want to hurt yourself. Mm. But if you know how to do that, you can release a lot of stored, stored stuff wow. in the tissue. Wow. It kind of it kind of makes me think of two things. First of all, from now on, all soft tissue work has to be with like a journal in front, right? You can't just let those emotions go. You gotta like massage your rotator cuff and then be like, all right, let me journal all <laughs> the things that came up. No, I'm I'm being serious. I'm gonna do that because I journal anyways. Why not combine them? Number two, maybe this can also explain why getting a massage feels so good? Like, how come you feel relaxed? How come, besides the fact that your body is getting released and it's just, you know, a sensory thing, people like getting touched, maybe you're feeling so good because you don't even realize that the the, the pent up negative energy that you're holding just got released. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I can hear from a lot of people that are very connected to themselves that when a mass massage therapist or you, somebody helps them, supporting them with a stretch. When they're touching a certain area, a lot of memories come up. It doesn't have mm. to be, you know, a huge cry. It can be a memory from a certain age. Because, you know, our brain is usually connecting, connecting different senses to mm. a certain event. So let's mm. say I'm talking to you right now and I have, I don't know, something, incense that smells like sage in the house. Mm -hmm. So then when I think about our podcast, I would always remember the smell. So mm -hmm. you can address right. an, a memory from a smell, from mm -hmm. hearing, from vision, from any other sense. Mm -hmm. So when, when something happens and you also have a sensory input, you can also address the memory from the feeling. So let's say if somebody touched you, you can you can address the memory from the touch. But then if nobody touched you, but you had a restricted area and nothing went through that area and everything is getting stuck, hormones, feelings, blood flow, lymph flow, everything, it's just not coming through. You can address the memory from that area because there will be elements right. of all the input, all your senses. And mm. what they're getting in that area. Is this is this your own um, personal research from being a practitioner, or is this something that's studied like by other holistic practitioners as well? It's everything put together. I did. I talked to a lot of teachers and practitioners. Mm. I studied various things. I read books about fascial release, myofascial. Mm. Uh, I read journals of people who went to retreats in, in the States. There are retreats that people go to for weeks or even months sometimes. And uh, the practitioners work on their fascia everywhere to release mm. trauma. And then mm. the people, what they, I read a few of those journals of people, and what they describe is that their whole body changes, mm. the size of their foot, their height, their posture. 
But a part of that is huge emotional releases and memories that they didn't know that they're there. Sometimes they connect to past lives and, you know, different things that nobody would ever expect to hear about or to even, I don't know, to, to surface when somebody is working on your, I don't know, your cheek from the inside or, mm. you know, your your eyebrow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, this is crazy. I'm a big fan of soft tissue work. Like, you know, I, I meet with a massage therapist regularly. I, I work with massage therapists and physical therapists all the time. I do soft tissue maintenance every day. And you completely, in this past 20 minutes, you completely single-handedly changed my philosophy of soft tissue work because I, I, I journal every day. So I'm already doing the steps of like self-work and self-growth and I mobilize every day, but I never correlated the two in the way you see it. So this is huge. Like we're gonna we're gonna speak more about this because I love this topic. I'm gonna share stuff on it. I want to dial back into the first topic for a second and wrap up with that. And that's more yeah. about you spoke about uh, sleeping on a bed and you know shoes and, and and sitting. We live in a comfort zone. We live in the zone where everything has to be super comfortable. So we are always trying to control our temperature. It's too hot. Let's make it cold. It's too cold. Let's make it hot. Bed's too thick. Bed's too thin. Could you dive a little bit into things that cause us to be the soft pampered humans we are today and in addition to ground sleeping and ground living what are other steps we can take to just be more resilient and challenge ourselves further throughout our life it would definitely start with small steps before because if you do big things it would overwhelm you and you will just you will just neglect the whole thing and go back to your habits Mm -hmm. So I think it mostly has to do with what is the comfort zone for everyone, for each person. And it can be, it can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be, like you've mentioned, there are temperatures, there are pressures, there are so many different things in which you can learn how to step out of your comfort zone. So for me, I feel that the physical, tangible things practical in life um they're the the best way to start because there's something really there's something specific that you can do something that you can measure something that you can tangible you know it, it's like yeah it's it is it's just i'm i'm just i'm cold so i'm shaky um when you change your seat from a chair to a, a lower pillow or a bolster, it's something it's something practical. And you can always measure and see how much more range you got in your hip and your ankle. And you can always see the changes in your back and your posture. It's not as easy when it comes to the emotional and the mental. So when you start with practical things like that, it's like a doorway to all the rest, mm. if you ask me at least. A hundred percent. So what can you do? Definitely transitioning into barefoot shoes gradually. And some people can do it straight away. Some people need transition shoes, like ultra, total, things like that. Not mm -hmm. all people go straight into vivos. Mm -hmm. Um Massage balls that you can use, facial release balls that you can use for your feet. I find feet probably as the most important thing because it's it, your connection to the ground. It's the biggest doorway. You mentioned the word doorway. 
if you start going barefoot, it's going to lead to other stuff. It's just just the way it is. Holistic, ground living, healthier, more connected. Just, just the way it is. Just like not doing that will affect your entire body. Correct, correct. Your migraines or neck issues or jaw issues can all be a result of a stiff foot. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not, it will still not heal unless you heal your feet. So choose number one. Number two, choosing, choosing mindfully what you sit on. Every time, again and again. What else can build resilience? Temperatures, cold exposure, heat exposure, saunas and ice baths. I'm not as good as you with cold, <laughs> definitely not. So for me, the way I started that, I would just, I at the end of the shower, I would switch the water to cold and put it only on my feet. Perfect. Again, feet, just mm -hmm. my feet. And then I went up and up um until i could actually go into the cold shower mm -hmm. amazing um so that sauna as well i started with shorter shorter period of time and then i built it up temperature as well built it up what else um food i think you can play around with food a lot fasting fasting is a great way to you know get out of that comfort zone you can fast you can you can transition and try eating a lot more simple foods and mm -hmm. just, you know, just real foods. Get rid of all the crap and just eat real fruit, veg, meat, eggs. Mm -hmm. um, try things in raw states, you know, and just not overly fancy. Just, you know, experiment with that. Um, do you do you have any other things that you want me to talk about in terms of resilience? What are the things that you're interested in in terms of I, like I emotional just, or mental? I just wanted to hear you speak about leaving the comfort zone and you covered temperature, you covered food, you covered sitting, you covered the things we do throughout the day. I think the best people think that exercising or like running a marathon or doing a tough mutter or squatting 500 kilos is, is, is resilient. But back to that first example we gave in the beginning, I don't think that it's the hour or two a day that makes you tough. I think it's the lifestyle that you live that builds your resilience. So just because I go on like a 5K barefoot run or whatever it is, doesn't make me tough. It's really about the, the general lifestyle of pushing yourself constantly through a little bit of extra. So like I, I just went outside, it's hot outside. I'm barefoot on the, on the pavement. It's a little bit hot, but my body's like, hey, this is something I can handle. And it's just always pushing yourself throughout the day it just makes you easier to be a stronger, more resilient creature in the small things you do, not the big, not inherently the workouts or the big things you do. That's how I perceive it. Yeah, and not all people are athletes to begin with. Not all people mm -hmm. go to the gym even for that one hour. Right. But if you have, the, you know, when I work with clients, I see that there are a lot of people that if you give them exercises and they have this connection in their head to, oh my God, it's like the physio gave me and I never end up doing that. There's a big difference between getting 20 minutes of exercises in a day and saying, you know, when you watch TV in the evening, instead of sitting on this, let's sit on something else. Yeah, small action steps. Valerie, um, unfortunately, our time has come to an end. So if you could just wrap up, you could tell us where we can find you on Instagram so we can reach out and uh, looking forward to reconnect and perhaps doing a part two. Sure. On Instagram, I'm Valerie Alignment Melbourne. And when I'll have my website, I will obviously give you the address. You can find me on YouTube, on Facebook. Facebook is Valerie Alignment Specialist. Um, 
that's pretty much it. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Peace out. And I'm looking forward to continuing to network with you. If you could reference the things you spoke about uh, below, send me your Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, and of I'll be course. able to reference in the notes. So thanks so much for connecting and have an amazing day. You too, Bashan. Peace out. Hey, I'm Sean and I'm the Barefoot Athlete. And I want to welcome you on this six-week Barefoot Transition course. Two and a half years ago, we started developing this course and we wanted it to be 12 months long. Why 12 months? Because we felt that if you just spent dozens of years in cushioned shoes, you can't transition that quickly. Realizing that 12 months is not sustainable, we shortened it to six weeks. And in these six weeks, you're gonna dive into foot, knee, ankle, hip, shoulder mobility. You're gonna dive into calf, ankle, knee, hip strengthening. You're gonna learn how to take care of your feet, how to release them with tons of soft tissue work. After the first phase is over, after the three weeks are done, your pain is gone, your knees, your hips, your feet are feeling great, ready to rumble, move on to the advanced stage. We learn how to land, we learn how to jump, we learn how to produce force and absorb force. Every single week is action-packed with play, fun, challenges to challenge yourself, your friends, your loved ones, and your community. Tons of strengthening, tons of footwork, and we can guarantee you that in six weeks time, you will be much, much closer to being able to fully love life and live life in minimalist footwear. And the best part of it all, you're not limited to six weeks. So if you wanna go back and repeat a phase, you're more than welcome to. So let's go, come along, and enjoy the course.